Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That uh, the team is now uh, kind of shifting vision and, and that uh, they're looking to compete uh, now for 2025 and 2026. Uh, and that... Um, you know, 2024, there, it was not going to be a reload situation uh, in New York and that it was going to be more of a transition um, in 2024 and uh, that they're, you know, we're looking to, um, you know, make decisions you know, for uh, to compete outside my contract window. Um, I said, okay, you know, that's a, you know, brand new, <laughs> brand news to me, um, different than what I'd ever, ever heard out of uh, Steve's mouth. I was like, all right, I got to hear this directly from Steve. So I had a phone call with Steve. Um, and he basically articulated the same uh, vantage point, that that was the new vision for the Mets. Uh, that was the new timeline that they were identifying and that, um, you know, players that were under contract for uh, next year, that they could be potentially sold off at the deadline right now and that the team could be really flipped around uh, at the deadline, you know, as we speak. Uh, and so once it became, the, you know, official, that's the vision for the Mets, um, then I said, yes, I'd, I, w- I will waive my uh, no-trade clause underneath those, under, underneath those pretenses. So I'm, I'm details, you know, I think I, you know, said this after we, after we uh, ended up moving Max that, you know, any of the conversations I had had with him, you know, leading into the, leading into his last start as a Met, um, and then any conversations that I'd had after, I, um, I just, you know, want to, you know, want to kind of honor the, um, you know, those conversations that we had. And I, I don't really want to talk about them publicly. Um, but, uh, you know, I know I did state, you know, with um, with a lot of you when we were talking about it, that, you know, going into 2024, that we wouldn't have the same odds, um, you know, that we did maybe going into 2022 or 2023, you know, kind of looking at like the, the preseason odds, whether you want to look at, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, some of the forecasting, um, you know, platforms that, that go out and the athletic or fan graphs or baseball prospectus, or even if you want to look at what the, you know, sports books in Vegas are, are saying the major league baseball over unders are, um, you know, but I had articulated that, that going into 2024, you know, we don't see ourselves that ha- we'll have the same odds that we didn't in 2022, 2023, but we will field the competitive team. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, August the 2nd, 2023, of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram. Talking Mets No G, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. 
Well, it's never a good sign after the trade deadline that the Mets are actually in the process of playing. I come to you with a special edition of the show, a trade deadline recap. You know me. I don't like to be the first that jumps out with a reaction. I like to sit back. I like to see things develop. I like to see all sides of the story. I like to marinate on it. And then I like to give you my thoughts because I want to give you a well-balanced, well-thought-out opinion. So I come to you this midweek. As I said on Sunday, I planned on doing it all along. I had a feeling there was going to be more activity. I did not think, well, at the beginning, about a couple of weeks ago, I thought it would be more of a sell-off-the-free-agent deadline. But after the Max Scherzer deal on Saturday, I knew that there was going to be some activity. And uh, away we go. So here I am with this special trade deadline edition, trade deadline, post-trade deadline edition of the Talking Mets podcast. So to set this up real quick, um, I'm going to give you what my desires were, but I also kind of warned you on Sunday after the Max Scherzer trade, after listening to Billy Epler, that we are in a rebuilding phase of this program, of the Mets season, and perhaps for a couple of seasons. And and what that means, I think the initial reaction and the words of Billy Epler and then Steve Cohen, who was in Kansas City to speak with reporters and the team, I think we need to take a step back and understand what rebuilding means for this Mets team and this owner and what rebuilding is in the wild card era. So we'll take that, we'll parse that out a little bit. But just to let you guys know, I mean, and I had this written out, I had this all ready to go, and I was thinking after the Robertson trade to do a reactionary show last week, I said this to you on Sunday, because there was so much angst about how the Robertson trade was made too quick, and they could have gotten more, and they could have waited to the deadline. Well, guess what, guys? You think, no matter how big your staff is, you think you could have pulled off Scherzer, Verlander, Robertson, Pham, um, Canna, all of the deadline, wait to the last minute, and send money over complicated financial transactions and get a big return. That's a lot of work. That's not the way this thing happens. And and I think the Mets knew that there'd be a bit of a bigger market perhaps for uh, Verlander and shares or not perhaps definitely than Robertson, even though he was a commodity that was out there. And, and the Mets did phenomenally well. They acquired six prospects. I mean, they traded Dominic Leone and I don't know what the kid turns out to be from Anaheim, but he was a top 10 prospect or top 15 prospect for the Angels, and I'm like saying to myself, um, I mean, come on. I mean, who's going to get Dominic Leo? I mean, that was a scrappy pickup about uh, a month and a half ago. Uh, so an interesting deadline. But my desire from the start was, hey, look, if you're not going to get anything of value, why send uh, gift players over to save Cohen money? He doesn't care about saving money. Uh, you want to be able to see you're only six games out. I mean, the, the, and Kana actually said this when he was talking to the Milwaukee media, the shame of it all is a little bit better June. And I think we're talking about a different Mets season. And I think everybody agrees with that, but that that's the way baseball is. I mean, it's truly a game of inches. It truly is. And, you know, the frustrating part is, is that you could pick out five or six games. Like I said on Sunday from the first few months of the year. And we're not even having this conversation. We're having a completely different conversation. As a matter of fact, we're probably having a conversation when the Mets added, and we're excited about the possibility of this team getting into the tournament and how nobody would want to face a Mets team with Scherzer and Verlander at the top of the rotation, regardless of what kind of seasons they had, in a short postseason series. And in the three wild card era, that's why I said one more rodeo. I had it all written out. Go to one more rodeo with Scherzer and Verlander, even as... As as 
I talked about rebuilding and the possibility of that happening. But last year, if you remember, I did a show maybe around this time post-deadline where I talked about how maybe 2022 is the Mets' best chance with this group. At that time, you had DeGrom coming off the injury. You had Scherzer. You knew about the age. You knew that actually uh, with Taiwan Walker and at the time Carrasco potentially being a a free agent, Bassett being a free agent, that you were going to have to rebuild that pitching staff. Yeah, you're in the the heart of the prime of guys like Lindor and Alonzo and McNeil and so on and Nimmo and so on, but Nimmo was a free agent. Diaz was a free agent. So you really had a situation where, hey, maybe 2022 was the Mets' best chance with this group. And it turns out I was right. I was hoping I was wrong I was right. And when Scherzer signed back in December 2021, I said, you're going to have this window between 2022 and Scherzer's option year of 2024 where you got to go for it. Now, you thought maybe DeGrom would be part of it. They switched DeGrom for Verlander. But everything went bad this year from the Correa signing, um, you know, fizzling out, Diaz getting hurt, underperformance, this general malaise that the club and that Steve Gelbs talked about before the broadcast on Saturday that has gone on. And, And really, I think, if you had a point to when you knew 2023 wasn't happening, as much as we wanted to lie to ourselves and say it's early, the signs when they went to Atlanta and got swept and both Scherzer and Verlander blew leads and, and Verlander in a fabulous way with no command and they got swept and they and, and then they lost that, that late lead in the final game to complete the sweep when Robertson, I believe, blew a save. You really knew at this point that the season was going in the wrong direction. And maybe the Mets front office said at that point as they watched Scherzer struggle as they watch Verlander still trying to figure out how to come back from that major injury, the Terra's major injury that he had coming out of spring training, that this is not happening. These guys are declining. They're only going to get a year older. And the rebuild, which I personally, what, what you saw happen over the last five days, is something that I told you last year. This could very well be the case at the end of the Scherzer contract. This is not a team right now with the farm system that can just slide players in and say, all right, Scherzer's gone. What's the next young player? What's the next young pitcher to go out there and get? And really, if you want to be honest, and anybody who's been talking, you know, has been talking about the Mets and been on this show and been interacting with me for the better part of since its inception in 2016 knows that this scenario that is in front of us with the reboot, rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, has been something that's been hanging over the team's head for a really, really long time. Probably since Sandy Alderson got sick and left the organization in 2017 into 2018. And um, it was hard to fathom so soon at that point after the World Series with guys like DeGrom and Syndergaard and Mats and, and Wheeler coming back from an injury in their heart of their prime and at the at, at the kind of pitching that doesn't come around a lot. And you could see now how special that was because look at how the Mets have struggled in the rotation and look at all the questions about how they're going to get pitching now that Scherzer and Verlander are gone. So for a while, there's been a clamor from the media, from the fans to rebuild. Brody Van Wagenen came in with the owners desperately wanting to win, maybe because they knew they needed to do something to save their ownership. And if COVID doesn't happen... 
I still think the Wilpons are hanging on to this team because they always seem to find a financial way, although it was becoming harder and harder and harder. And in the way the way that the game is now, how expensive it is to build a team, how expensive even very good players like a Taiwan Walker costs 18 to $20 million. It was inevitable that, a, a, and, and under the Wilpons, it would have been a true raise and rebuild. Houston Astros, Chicago Cubs. And when Brody Van Wagenen was interviewed and a lot of GMs were interviewed back in 2018, that's what a lot of these guys wanted to do. And I'm not in favor of that. And I think that that is a death knell in this town. And at that time, it was even worse because the Yankees were on an upswing after a short reboot. They truly did a reboot when you had the young, the, the Sanchez's and the Judds and the Gleyber Torres and the Yankees are going into the championship series in back-to-back years and, and nearly made the World Series in, in 2019. So, you know, it was something that was always like, we can't do this. There's got to be a way to leverage this pitching. And in a lot of ways, what I was saying during those years, I was I was saying again, you've got these two aces, these two Hall of Famers. Yes, they're not vintage Scherzer. Yes, they're not vintage Verlander. But you got a couple of years, go for it. There's always time to tear it down. Well, Billy Epler and Steve Cohen, and, and they talk about math, and they talk about probabilities. And I, I guess, even though I agree 100%, it was long odds for the rest of this year, although I think with this team intact maybe things could have been a little bit different in Kansas City maybe you take two out of three maybe inch close to the 500 and six games out although there was a lot of teams in the muck in the mix for the wild card is not insurmountable on August 1st we've seen a a lot bigger deficits be made up a lot later in the season 2007 Phillies different circumstances of course so it was a shock and and it was a shock and even when Verlander was traded I was shocked because I'm like this is really happening. They're tearing this team down. And at that point, I remember I tweeted, "Let's you know, if you're going this route now, you know, you're hearing Scherzer talk, you heard the clips coming in that they're rebooting and they're not going to be competitive for a couple of years. Go after, you know, get Quintana out of here, you know, trade whatever you can't nail down. And I'm even thinking, and you can't do it at the deadline. Does that mean Nimmo's going? Does that mean Alonzo's going? I mean, with the way Cohen is uh, buying these contracts out, I mean, conceivably this offseason... You could trade Nimmo, you could trade Alonzo, and get major prospects if you're going to pick up whatever portion of the salary they're going to pick up. I mean, owners are like pigs and you know what with this. Prospects, they're telling their GM, forget about prospects, we're going to steal a star player and he's going to pay for us to do it. And and I saw some commentary on Twitter, this probably also could scare the bejesus out of some of these owners because Steve Cohen's using his largesse, his checkbook, to now buy a farm system. He bought a star-studded roster. It didn't work. He's buying a farm system. Will it work? Who knows? I mean, you all you could do is hope for that the scouting, that the fact that they went to Houston, that, that maybe that was the only team Verlander would waive the no trade. I find that hard to believe. I think the Dodgers would have been one of those. I, I, I was off put by the fact that the Mets have to give the Dodgers another wealthy team money for prospects. But it seems like the structure has been built by the industry through the media as like this is the new way of doing business. And, and I think owners on the other side of the table, like, I'm not going to help that guy. And I think Cohen knows it. And I think the only way he can get what he wants is the way that usually wealthy people get what they want. They spend. And they spend a lot. Because at the end of the day, money talks. And I don't care if you hate Steve Cohen, love Steve Cohen, and think he's the worst thing that's ever happened to the sport. When he waves green in front of you, I don't care what owner you are. You could be the biggest, you know, anti-union you know, former, you know, Selig collusion acolyte. 
you're going to probably play ball in that scenario. So one more rodeo, my plan for 2024, for going into 2025 with Lander, blown up right in my face. Um, and, and the hope of a title or a pennant and Cohen building this foundational legacy with money is, is really out the window. And I think Cohen's more comfortable now with going this route because he's shown what he can do. He's wiped away the stench of the Mets being cheap. And I think now, talking to Billy Epler, and also trying to recruit a president of baseball operations, whether that's David Stearns or someone else, I don't know if you could do that as easily without having some kind of sustainable farm system. And this team just doesn't have it. Now, before this week, I think now you look at an updated prospect ranking, I think you could feel a lot better about things, but you know we'll get to what really the focus should be in just a couple of minutes. So we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Scherzer's comments versus Billy Epler's. And I know people are complaining, you know, Billy lied in this. Billy Epler code-worded you on Saturday or Sunday, whenever that clip from earlier in the week I put up there, that the team was going to take a step back, that they weren't going to be going out and going bananas and signing the Carlos Correa's or anybody to crazy contracts. Here's the other part. If you look at the free agent list this coming off season, there's some nice names. There's also some names that are from the Far East that, you know, whether they're top, they're top free agents or not is debatable. But I don't think there's names here where I personally would go out and pay A money for B or B minus talent. And I think that's something that the old Mets, they would do, you know, pay B money to C talent. Uh, we do, and I don't think that they're going to do that, and I think that they look at the, the the free agent landscape, and they could go out there and say, hey, you know, we're not going to spend as much. We're not going to double down on bad money by giving uh, B talent A money, because that's what Steve Cohen's going to have to do, is give A money. So you have the two comments, but in the end, in a three wild card era, in an environment where you're really not out of the race, until, and, and, and maybe there's years where let me preface it by saying maybe there's years where it's not quite as a parity-driven league as it is now. I think all sports are trying to get more parity, whether it be with salary caps or preventing super teams or putting in rules that prevent players from pushing their way to teams. I mean, look, one of the reasons why I think the league got rid of the waiver wire deadline is to prevent teams from dumping players for salary purposes post-trade deadline and stacking their teams as they get closer and closer to September when more teams fall out. And and really, I think, with the way this wild card is, and I've been advocating this for a long time, I think you got to make the deadline August 15th. I think you got to push it back two weeks. I think you got to make it August 15th. you got to give teams a couple of more weeks to figure things out because you are having teams like the Mets that conceivably could have hung in there a couple of more weeks waving the white flag. And I don't think that that's also good for the game. I think you're now, in a certain way, teasing fan bases a little bit by keeping the bar low, but having, you know, what is it, instead of July 31st, August 1st? I mean, you're not really moving the deadline that much. You're moving it 24 hours. So that's something. But in a three-wild card environment, teams like the Cubs that are 54 and 53, they're in the race. It doesn't take a star-studded roster to be 500. It doesn't take that. And you could hang around 500, and you could screw around until July 31st, and then all of a sudden you look at your roster, you're like, hmm, I need this, this, and this, and voila, 
all of a sudden you're a tournament team. Now, that doesn't mean you're a World Series contender, and that doesn't mean that you're likely to make it through the tournament, but you're in the tournament. And I think that's the rebuild that they're talking about. I'm not trying to rationalize Billy Epler's comments, but I also don't think that this is, and he didn't lie about this, this is not tear it down to the studs liquidation a la post-1997 Marlins. Now, here's one thing I will say, because both sides, the Scherzer commentary as well as the Epler commentary, have credence. At this point, after you've seen Steve Cohen in action now for three seasons, really, after you saw how he impulsively, while he's having dinner in Hawaii, signed Correa to a 12-year deal, while he pivoted almost on a dime from being a big spending, top payroll, top five team in baseball type of talent to selling off assets and paying down the money, future Hall of Famers, you can't take anything off the table. So anybody who thinks that my concept of trading Pete Alonso, which I talked about two weeks ago, is crazy, or that sending Nimmo out and 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 paying the money is crazy, McNeil, anything, you know, I think Lindor is untradeable, but you never know. I think you have to say that this owner is willing to put anything on the table to make the team better and to get what he wants in that span of time. Now, will that become tiresome and stressful for the fans? And will that blow up in his face? Will Scherzer go out, pitch really well down the stretch for Texas, and Verlander go to Houston and look like vintage Verlander? And all they needed to do was get a little bit of season under them and then the juice of seeing the postseason get that final remnants of sunshine out of them. Think back to Vince Scully in for the love of the game and and the Billy uh, uh, Billy Chapel, the Kevin Costner character. You know, one more day of sunshine, right? One more day. You know, can that happen? You know, um, it's possible. And then you could sit here and kick yourself, but that wasn't what the math said. That wasn't what Cohen wanted to play. He talked about it. And maybe these guys are too analytical, Cohen being the hedge fund guy and the poker player and the analytics guy and Billy Epler, Mr. Inside Baseball Analytics, but that's where it is. So I think nobody lied to you. I think we're surprised because we've never seen this before. I mean, the Mets have never really rebuilt. Think about it in their history. One time, really, post-1992, the worst team money can buy, they took a step back and were non-competitive. And they were non-competitive in the Madoff, post-Madoff years, 11, 12, 13, Lesser extent, 14. All they had to do was throw in a couple of free agents. I mean, I think when you when you really dial in, this Mets team now kind of resembles those 12, 13 Mets teams. But I think Cohen this offseason might invest a little bit in that. We'll, we'll briefly get into that. That's a larger conversation, one that will develop. It's not one that we're going to dive in deep to today. So, um, am I surprised? Yes, I didn't expect that. Am I disappointed? Yes, I wanted one more rodeo. And I think you could have you know, trade a little Robinson. You wanted to trade Pham. You wanted to trade Canna. Go out, replace those guys with Verlander and Scherzer and Quintana as a three and Kodai Singh as a four. And you know what? You could figure out your fifth starter. You get Carrasco out of here. And then all you got to do is find one pitcher and maybe sign a little bit of depth. Or maybe some of the kids you got coming up through the system could finally be your six, seven, eight, nine. It's not a bad, you know, Diaz coming back. Bullpen arms are not that hard to find. Maybe you fill in a couple of component offensive players, and you got this expensive roster, but already you're paying these guys. I mean, why pay somebody for Scherzer to win a World Series for them? Why pay Verlander for somebody else to win a World Series with them? But that's not the way it went. 
anything's on the table. I think you have to really understand now, this owner, this organization at this point in time is prone to do anything. And it's crazy when you think about it. It's truly the back of the cab. It's truly this wild ride. And all you can do is sit back and say, where's this going now? And and watch and wonder. And there's a little anxiety with that, but it also makes things fun. So that's where we're at. Before I take a break, because I really want to dive in briefly, and I'm not going to go on too long today because this is a reaction show to the deadline. I want to kind of give you what I'd like to see for the rest of the season. Because now you're like, all right, and I'm coming to you in the middle. I believe the Mets are down 3 nothing in a game in Kansas City. They lose on a balk-off, which, as I said on Twitter, is not the first time they've lost in a balk-off. They did in 1989, Roger McDowell in L.A. So that was something that I even you know had to correct the great Howie Rose. So um, what do I want to see? I think it's pretty obvious the first thing I want to see. Beatty's got to play every day. Vientos has got to play every day in some capacity. Alvarez is already playing every day. At some point, maybe Mauricio gets a chance. I still don't think Mauricio comes up until after the minor league season. From what I understand, he's now playing center field. I think what they're trying to figure out is how versatile Mauricio could be. Could he be a super sub? I need to see these guys every day. Beatty in particular is somebody I'm keeping an eye on because he's looked awful. There is not one aspect of his game that looks elite. There's not one aspect of his game that looks league average. And my thing with Beatty, if your defense is going to be as bad as Beatty's defense has been, and it has not really gotten better. I know Eric Chavez believes in him. I'm glad, and I trust Eric Chavez, a guy that is an elite defensive player when he played, a very good third baseman, someone who went through his own struggles and understands the development of getting up to the big leagues. I have to see more, and I'd like to see some progress over the next six or seven or eight weeks. And I believe, you know, knowing what they said, Beatty's going to be a third baseman in 2024. So when you go into the spring next year and they say they're going to be competitive, they're not going to go out and sign a a Matt Chapman and, and throw Beatty in left field. They're not going to do that based on the words they're telling us. They're going to give Beatty a shot. And then if he if he falls flat on his face next year, then maybe something's changed. Vientos, I'm not sure. Can he be a DH? Can he be a guy that hits lefties? Can he give you 300 to 350 solid at-bats as a component player, a right-handed Vogel back? We'll see. Hasn't shown that he can consistently hit. Alvarez has blown away my expectations. I figured he'd pop home runs. I wasn't sure how good of a hit he would be. I didn't think he'd be anything behind the plate. He's got a good arm. The pitchers have loved throwing to him. I mean, Scherzer, who's not a guy that's easy to impress, has said nothing but great things about him when he was here. Big home run yesterday. Elite power. If Alonzo's here for the long term, Alvarez and Pete, even when he's here for the short term, in the middle of that lineup is a dynamic power uh, duo in the middle. Between the both of them, they could hit 75 home runs, 80 home runs alone, and give the Mets the kind of power that they probably missed last year. And we'll see. So... Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez, Mauricio at some point. You like them to to join the group. That's probably September. Now on the pitching side. Time to put the big boy pants, Peterson and McGill. Throw them out there. Let them start. I don't care if they get their blocks knocked off. You know, I need to see what they got left. There's no more pressure now. Can they develop to the pitchers that we think they could be? Could they, you know, maybe they're not as good as 
Oh, McGill might not be as good as McGill April of 2022. Can Peterson be something like he was for a good chunk of subbing in for Max Scherzer in 2022? Can you get back of the rotation, number four, number five performances from these guys? Because I'll be honest with you, you got some kids flying up behind them. The time is now. Peterson is not far away from becoming the Dom Smith of pitchers. Where he's just going to bounce around from team to team and they're going to see if they could get lightning in a bottle. And more than likely, he's never going to make it. McGill might have more rope here because he was hurt last year. But again, McGill's not too far off from being that guy like, all right, we'll put you in the bullpen and then you stink in the bullpen. And then, you know, you're you're designated for assignment. You're not you're non-tendered or whatever it may be. They're on that cusp. Now, I don't think the Mets are going to give them up until they absolutely have to because they don't have enough pitching. They have to hold on to them. And at the very least, they're going to hope, hey, if they got options, can we do, can they be the sixth or seventh option in a rotation pecking order? I think we have to see if them take inventory of the monitors. We, you know, today is not the day where I'm going to start going down and running down the prospect. Look, look, I got the updated Mets prospect list up. Very impressive, you know, depending on where you, you know, saw them at. Uh, you know, guys like an Alex Ramirez who were top five prospects are pushed all the way down. You know, Jet Williams, who was a top prospect, was moved down. Like, they acquired some really elite talent with Acuna, with Gilbert, who, who, you know, sounds like a really fun player. You know, Clifford and the power that he could produce. You know, we'll see. But really, guys, ultimately, the names that you need to pay attention to because. I don't know what a Gilbert will become or Clifford will become or Kuhn will become or these two kids from the Marlins that are years away. Put away all these offensive pieces that they acquired. Because make no mistake, they did acquire a couple pitchers. They did. They, you know, including, you know, a guy that from Milwaukee in uh, Justin Jarvis that could potentially help next year as maybe that fifth or sixth or seventh starter in the rotation. But the names you have to be aware of here are Blade Tidwell, Tyler Stewart, Christian Scott, Dominic Hamill, Mike Vazel, who's struggling a lot in AAA. Those five names are five pitchers that I think within the next 24 months, the next two seasons, the hope is that two of them could potentially go into that rotation and provide quality innings, even if it's at a number four or number five starter pace. You need pitching is expensive. Good pitchers, as I said, cost $20 million at least. You cannot have a payroll that is anywhere near not crazy over the luxury tax with a 90% tax rate without having some cost-controlled parts of your roster. You just can't. And pitching in particular is expensive. These kids, now, is would it be great to say that a Tidwell becomes Noah Syndergaard or Tyler Stewart becomes Steven Matz? Or Christian Scott becomes Jacob DeGrom or whatever. It would be great if you had another Wheeler, Harvey, DeGrom, Mats. be great, Syndergaard. I'm not banking on that. And I'm not calling it a failure if they, they, they don't have all five of these guys like that group came through. But you got to get a couple of these guys out. And if not these guys, is there somebody they drafted this year that could emerge? Not everybody comes out of college or high school or drafted as a top 10 prospect. DeGrom wasn't. Even Syndergaard, when he was drafted by the Blue Jays, didn't jump into the top right away. They develop into that. There was even questions about Harvey, whether he was his daughter. So that's what you have to look at. And if those arms flop, or they take steps back, 
or their ETA, whatever you know you think, 25, 24, then you got a problem because then you got to hope that you acquire more pitching because they didn't acquire any pitching with these trades. And that was one of the things that was a prerequisite, in my opinion, when I was talking about selling is got to focus on pitching, 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 more pitching. The Mets seemed to focus more on hitting, or they probably focused on the best prospects they could get, which is fine. But it puts more pressure on them, unless they're that confident in this group, that they have the arms, not just those names I gave you that are more near term, but more down the line that we're not talking about. And as we get deeper into the season and in the offseason, with the way that the team is in this current phase, we will learn, we will dive more into minor leagues. Because admittedly, that's not been a focus the last couple of years. It's been about the ownership. It's been about the spending. It's been about the manager. It's been about the general manager. It's been about the big league team. And yeah, we talk a little bit about Alvarez and Beatty. But honestly, this show hasn't been that. Now we shift our focus. The getting to know you phase, what do they need phase, go get it done phase, that doesn't apply anymore. Right now we're like, hey, what? how are you going to make the rest of the season productive? What are we going to learn? It's almost like another getting to know you phase. We're back kind of into that because you're you're in a non-contending situation. You're trying to get to see more of Beatty and Vientos and Peterson and McGill. Those guys I want to see because I want to know, is it worth investing any more time in these guys? Or are they transitional players that will be replaced in a better time? We'll see. And Beatty's one that I'm going to be all over. Because I've heard a lot about him. I heard a lot of good things about his makeup. I see nothing. Zero zilch nada that tells me this is a good player. But he's young. You don't want to judge him off of half a season or two-thirds of a season. But I don't. I can't point to one thing that's excited me about Brett Beatty so far since he got called up. Maybe his first game in Atlanta. He had a home run in his first at-bat. Something like that. So, all right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to briefly just outline why, yes, they're rebuilding. Yes, we have to take a step back. Yes, we're disappointed. But they're not like, unless there's more to come in the offseason of a strip down, it's not completely hopeless, especially in a three wild card era. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. Yeah, we certainly expected to, to win a lot more games than we did. And unfortunately, we had a, what felt like just one bad month uh, in June. And um, it didn't work out, unfortunately. And um, I think that that's a super talented team. It's a great organization. And, and um I don't think that they're out of the race yet by any means. You know, they still got a bunch of really good baseball players over there. And um, but you know, the deadline comes up and the team has to make moves, and and that's that's what happens. So um, it, it is what it is. You know, but I had articulated that that going into 2024, you know, we don't see ourselves that ha- we'll have the same odds that we didn't. In 2022, 2023, but we will field a competitive team um, in, in 2024, and so um, you know now is a is a time where we start to think about um, what opportunities can exist in the in the winter time, um, what kind of resources that we'll have um, at our disposal, and uh, and 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 put our best foot forward. But um, to get to the sustainability that we always talk about, um, we were going to have to we, you know we were going to have to 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 do that organically. And 
you know, there's lots of lots of ways to do that. And I think some of the more traditional ways have been um, when teams have, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, you know, tanked and and put themselves up at the top of the 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 draft, um, the draft order, the amateur draft order every single year. Um, well, that, that can take five, six, seven years to do. And and, you know, we don't want to endure that. And, and we don't think you have to endure long stretches of that. Um, in order to build something sustainable. So so that's ultimately where our goal is, um, is, is to build that sustainability. But um, so, you know, but like I said, we, we won't have the same odds in 2024, but um, we'll, we'll put together a competitive team. Well, you heard it from the horse's mouth, Billy Upler. And, you know, they're going to try to be opportunistic. They're going to try to provide value. There's going to be pathways to be successful. But it's going to be a team that may be more plucky, you know, not as, you know, the margin of error is greater for these guys. You know, they have a, th- you, know, you know, excuse me, a thinner margin of error for these guys. There'll be names that you'll, you know, value names. You know, maybe they're going to go and scour areas that we're not sure of. You know, maybe a DJ Stewart who is the type of, you know, component player they'll put in and fill up the roster with. We don't know. There's a lot of uh, unknowns with that. And and as I said, just because you're not promising, and I think Steve Cohen said this during his conference today in Kansas City, promising to be in on every big free agent like they have been pretty much the last couple of years. That doesn't mean you can't field a competitive team. But I wouldn't count on us sitting here next year on August 2nd from their words and and a hundred percent being uh, buyers, or having been buyers and and being competitive, it does in a three wild card scenario. I got to tell you, you put some money into the team, and you're halfway decent at your job, and you're not tanking. You should be able to get at least the mirage of playoff contention. I mean, there's a lot worse teams. I mean, look at the 2011 Mets. If they had invested a little in that team, they might have been. And that's what a one wild card, not not three. So. You know, that's where you're at. You heard Mark Cannon. It is a shame. He's right. If you look at the Mets, you know, April they play 560 baseball. May they play just under 500, 14 and 15. Awful in June, you know, 7 and 19, 1962 Mets level. 600 baseball in July. They were starting to play better. Their starting pitching was, was doing better. It was actually uh, their best run differential month. And then they tore it all apart. And, under, you know, we've been through that, why they did it, and so on and so forth. But, you know, four or five games in June, you know, go 12 and 14 instead of 7 and 19. And uh, we're talking about a different situation here. Uh, it's it's crazy. It's amazing, the whole thing. So, you know, we'll get more into the prospects and the farm system and maybe dive a little deeper. You know, we heard from uh, Eli Sussman about fish on first, about, you know, Vargas and Hernandez, the kids the really young kids from the Marlins system they got for Robertson, which, by the way, Robertson is not faring that well in Miami. So these deadline deals, it's so hard to rip a guy from a team who's pitching well, in a groove, uproot them, uproot the family. You know, even if it's a familiar situation, you're not like he's going to Mars, he's going to Miami, it's the National East. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes they work out great. Sometimes they struggle. We saw from the Mets' perspective last year that Darren Ruff struggled. Michael Givens was okay. You know, Vogelback was okay. He was pretty good. You know, just you don't know how this thing is going to work out. It's it's strange on that. So, 
you know, so what does that mean? You know, you start looking at, you know, free agents for next year. And obviously we haven't even thought about trades. You know, it's hard to really, um, um, you know, speculate on trades and everything. You know, the first thing I want to say, and everybody's going to talk about this. I don't know how you sell this to Otani. Now, money will sell Otani. And I think that there might be some inkling from Billy Epler because the industry talks and having known Otani because he signed him the first time, Epler might think, and he might be telling Cohen, I don't think this guy wants the East Coast. I don't think this guy wants New York. And we don't know if he's built for New York. Just because he's a dynamic player, arguably the best player of all time, you have no idea if he wants New York and built for New York. We really don't know who he is. I mean, obviously, there's the cultural and the language barrier. You have no idea who he is. Now, I'd love to say that, you know, we were all prepping for it, myself included. The winter of Otani, the winter of Otani, the winter of Otani, the winter of Otani. The winter of Otani might be before us, but it might be the Angels and the Dodgers and the Phillies. And, you know, if they don't want to come to the Mets, I don't know why I go to the Phillies, but you know what I'm talking about. Somebody else other than the Mets. Maybe the Yankees are in on it. You know, maybe he looks at the Mets and says, you know, I don't want to come to a team unless I know a thousand percent that they're going to be competitive. I already did this gig with the Anaheim Angels. And in a way, he might look at the Mets as Anaheim East. You want to go to team guaranteed to win? Go to the Dodgers. They've been winning for years. Even if they haven't won a World Series, they've been in it. You don't have to move far. They got a rich history and tradition. You know, maybe, you know, who knows? You know, maybe he likes the culture in San Francisco better. I don't know. You know, San Diego's star-studded. He's on the U.S. coast. I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I would like the Mets to be in on Otani. I think it would solve a couple of problems. You know, the the malaise that might be setting in with Mets fans. And that's a conversation we'll have. I have some things about Sunday's show that I'd like to get into. I'm not going to get into them tonight because I want to keep it to the, the trade deadline. So... You know, the early thing here is that I don't know how they sell this to Otani. So anybody photoshopping Otani uniforms on a Mets uniform or say, ah, don't worry about it. I mean, you know, I saw people put out there, look, the Mets have a decent crux of players. They got Alvarez, they got Alonzo, they got McNeil, they got Lindor, they got Beatty, Nimmo, Marte, Navarez, Senga, Quintana, the Diaz coming back. Maybe they have Adovino and Rayleigh in that bullpen. Those aren't bad arms. Drew Smith is, eh, he's okay. You know, he's, he's serviceable. You got some prospects. Maybe Mauricio gets brought up and has an impact. Acuna. You know, who knows about the pitchers we talked about. Um, you could supplement that. It's not zero. It's not like they have a bunch of 4A guys running up and down the lineup. You throw Otani in that, it's exciting. But Otani's going to look at that and go, you know, you know, what's this all about? You know, what's, you know, Steve Cohen has sold Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander on a vision. He switched that vision and he got them out of there. So he got them to good places. Not like they just... And they had no trade, so he couldn't. But I don't think he treated them poorly on the way out. He, he paid them handsomely. And he worked with them on the way out. But, other, you know... And, and I saw the comments in the, the the Athletic article. I don't know if it was Britain or Salmon that wrote that, you know, agents are saying, hey, money talks. So it's not like the NBA where all of a sudden, you know, nobody wants to go someplace. or they want to go to Miami or they want to go to Boston or whatever it may be. So, um, I just want to put it out there. I think selling Otani on this, and even if you kept the team together, I mean, baseball and life is about odds. I mean, Cohen nailed Scherzer. He nailed Verlander. I mean, Scherzer was a game changer. The Mets never would, 
I mean, they, they won the Beltron sweepstakes. That, that was hard. And they won the Pedro Martinez sweepstakes. But after that, it was very hard for the Mets to win these sweepstakes, sweepstakes especially when the Yankees were involved with guys like Teixeira and Giambi and, you know, you know the deal. So, CeCe Sabathia, Mets just wouldn't get involved. You know, they became the Yankees over the last couple of years. So maybe they could still have that magic. And look, I don't doubt if Cohen was able to do it a couple of times, can he do it with Otani? You got Singh on the roster. Does that help? I don't know. You know, this is a diverse city. It's a city where you know, it doesn't matter what culture you are. You could probably fit fit in somewhere. You know, but th- you know that that could be said for L.A. too. That could be said for San Francisco in some ways too. So, you know, so that I want to get that out there. You know, don't just think this is about Otani. Oh, we we'll just get Otani; it'll all be okay. No, because no. I saw people are writing. Well, they just got rid of these two aces. They weren't really pitching like aces. Max was pitching like a third starter. Valander was coming around, but who knows? The metrics were indicating they were declining. All true. But they were established stars with a DNA of excellence and championship pedigree. They do not grow on trees. You are not getting those guys on the free agent market. And quite honestly, I'm not going to get into Otani deep again today. That's not the point of this segment. Otani is a good pitcher, but I'm not sure he's at the level of Scherzer Vintage Verlander. I think he's a better hitter than pitcher. My observation without diving into it, I think he's a better hitter than pitcher. But again... We're not diving into that. We will get into that. <laughs> Believe me, we're going to have a lot of time over the next seven or eight weeks before the season is over to talk about a lot of stuff because it ain't going to be about the games. I'm coming to you during a game. I've never done that before. It ain't going to be about the game. So, look, I'll outline the roster. They have some, you know, players to start with. What do you think? What do I think early? What does Billy Epler's words mean? And I and I'd like to see more conversation as the season goes on. You know, it's it's about maybe signing some bullpen arms. You know, maybe they go after a Jorge Solar or Jesse Winker on a value deal. Lourdes Gurriel. You know, they could bring back Tommy Pham and Mark Canna. You know, maybe they bring in a Justin Turner. They're going to bring in guys on one or two year deals, guys who are not at the top of their free agent class who want to play here in New York. You know, they're not going to go out and go after uh, Urias or Blake Snell or even maybe an Aaron Nola or Sonny Gray. I mean, Aaron Nola's having a bad year. You're going to have to give those guys five or six-year deals. I mean, if Taiwan Walker is getting four or five years, right, he's getting four years. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez, a Nola, a Urias, these are going to cost some serious cheddar. They're going to cost $25, $30 million a year. Max Chapman at third base, I know he's older. These are big contracts. You know, they're not going to do that. They're going to take the the foundation of what they have right now on that roster. They're going to say, we could probably use a couple, you know, Marte, you know, assuming he comes back healthy, that's not a bad guy to have in the outfield. They'll say, I need a corner outfielder. I need a couple of bullpen arms. I got to round out that rotation with short-term deals because Tidwell and, and, and Scott and Stewart might be ready in 24 months. You know, you can put something together. It's going to look more like the 1997 Mets. And you know what? We'll see. You know, can Buck, if he's still here, and I think he will be. And I also think Buck, and people have asked me this on Twitter. You know, I know that they don't like how he doesn't play the the kids as much. When you're on a contending team, you're worming the kids into the lineup. They don't get a scholarship. Now it's different. And the front office dictates, dictates the lineup anyway. You think the front office is going to sit back and let Buck do whatever he wants? You know that's not true. I think Buck would be good for a young team 
and players that are coming in that need to learn how to be professionals to a certain degree. You know, it looks, it, you know, especially with the Houston guys, it looks like they brought guys in with great makeup. I am sure that was part of the decision-making process with makeup on these guys. You hear good things about Acuna. I mean, there's a lot of good things you hear about all the kids that they brought in. And Buck, at least for one year, because he's getting older. I mean, I don't think Buck signed up for a rebuild. I think they also think in Buck, you have a, a collection of players that are pretty good, but not, you know, obviously considered the top five teams to win in baseball. You know, can you go in and 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 put this mixture together and come out with something pretty sweet? In a way, and I don't know what the fans will think, but I think the negativity will subside for a while because the expectations will be lowered, the pressure will be off, uh, the fan base as well, and I think they'll enjoy, in a way, some of the players being brought up. I think they'll give some rope to Beatty and Vientos and Gilbert or any of these other guys that are going to come up. And, I mean, who knows? You know, look, you know, big free, you know, big guy becomes available, a Soto or something. I said this the other day. You have some capital now to, to trade and, and maybe not completely rip your farm system up. I mean, Jose Buto, who was a highly rated prospect a couple of years ago, has been knocked all the way down on the list. He's been awful this year. You know, the kids they got for... Uh, Escobar that were a little higher rated earlier in the year now have been knocked all the way down. The Mets have done pretty good. You know, they've been pretty good. And we don't know. I mean, they're all lottery tickets. And I made the joke and I appreciate the, you know, people thinking it was funny. Is it a $1 scratch off where you get a guy that fills in for a little bit and gives you something, but it's a buck. Buck doesn't go far at any point in time. Is it one that you throw away and go, ah, this is a waste of time? Or is it a win for life? Is there a win for life on one of these prospects? I don't know. I'm hoping. So, it's not completely hopeless. And again, I want to reiterate. He's not lying to you, Billy Epler. A rebuild or a reboot in a three-wild card era is different than if this was 1990. And I and he said it. You heard the words, but we were coming back from the break. He doesn't want to do a five, six, seven-year tear-down, raise, and rebuild. There are a lot of GMs that would want to do that. They would love it. Oh, I got myself a job for seven years and I could market. This process to steal from the Philadelphia 76ers. Not doing that. Cohen's not going to do that. And there's a lot more. But we'll be back on Sunday. We'll talk more about where we are with the Mets. I want to get into baseball in New York. Because this is an interesting time in baseball in New York history. I got a fun, I think I have a fun show on Sunday. And, you know, I'll start to prepare. I'm going to do my own little research. You know, how can we talk more about these prospects? How can we, you know, get deeper dive into that? We just scratched the surface on the 2024 situation. I wanted to give you some positivity. I'm not being Pollyannish. This is not where we all wanted to be. And I told you in the open, I wanted to compete through the Scherzer contract and probably through the end of the Verlander contract. And if things were going bad, then rebuild. And what they did right now the last few days, do that in 2026 or 2027. Cohen doesn't want to delay the inevitable, he thought. He didn't think this team had it. You shook this team up. They were, there was, a, you know, Gelbs talked about it. I agree, this team had a malaise. I don't know why they came out of spring training malaise. Was it Diaz? Was it No Correa? Was it WBC? Was it the stench of failure post-Atlanta, post-San Diego? I think that played into it. 
is it Buck? Is there something about Buck? I mean, he wasn't going to call out Buck in the scrum in Kansas City today, but Cohen gave him a vote of confidence. You heard that Canna really loved Buck on the way out the door. So he didn't believe in this group. This group died sometime when they left Atlanta last year, when they got swept and couldn't hammer the division down. And they've never recovered. And that happens. And sometimes, you know, you got to look and see who's left and say, you know, are these guys going to be able to rebound from that with a new group around them? McNeil, Pete. I mean, Lindor, you're married. I hate to go back to that segment. We've done that a billion times here. You're married. There ain't no divorce that could go with the with you and Lindor. So we got to figure out how to live with each other for a decade, a long time. You know, so that's that. Hope you enjoyed this special edition, trade deadline edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I will be back on Sunday. Like I said, I want to dive deeper into some things on Sunday that are more about baseball in New York and where we are from a history standpoint because I think these are fascinating times to be a Mets fan and they're interesting times to be a baseball fan in New York because I don't think we face them and what we're seeing with both the Mets and the Yankees in a really, really long time. And it's it's I'm curious how things are going to turn because the Mets do have an opportunity to shift the the city to their favor. And, you know, they've kind of stumbled again, but we'll talk more about that. I don't want to give away too much. That's for Sunday's show. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You get on me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And, of course, I want to thank our good partners, the good folks at the fan side of the podcasting network for supporting the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast on Sunday. Till then, take care. Everybody. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.